The angel of the Lord appears in the end of fire, in the middle of a bush. And he looks, and behold, the bush is burning, and yet it's not consumed. One thing that I notice here is that Moses isn't seeking God. Moses is just doing his job. He's up there with the sheep. Not with people who are looking for a sign from God. And God interrupts his life. And in a sense, that's how God comes to all of us. He interrupts our life. He shakes us up. He reveals himself to us, even when we're not looking for him. That's how much he loves us. The church fathers talk about the imagery to the burning bush. Number one, why is it burning? Because it shows God's power. Remember last week we talked about the Holy Spirit last, last week. Last year, last week we talked about the Holy Spirit coming, and the Holy Spirit comes with fire, right? That image of burning comes. Here was that image of fire in the Old Testament. Number two, it points out that it's a voice that comes from the burning bush. The word. What's my name for Jesus? The beginning was the word. The word of God. Number three. God the Father is calling his people here into a relationship with him through Moses. What's Moses' task? To free the people. We have a prefigure of Jesus Christ. We have God showing his love for people here in the burning bush. God chooses to reveal himself to Moses. Moses is the looking. And then in Psalm 93, which we sang today, we see the fullness of what Moses didn't see, but what the angels will see, and what we will see in the time of Jesus at the end of all time. Look at Psalm 93, verse 1. The Lord is king. He is put on splendid apparel. The Lord has put on his apparel and worried himself with strength. He has made the whole world so sure that it cannot be moved. Ever since the world began, your throne has been established. You are from everlasting. We see the fullness of who God the Father is in that psalm. We worship one God in three persons. So then we come to the Son. God made himself for us in Jesus, in the Son. When we look at the gospel passage, we see Jesus explaining to that great scholar of his day, Nicodemus, just how it is that the Trinity works to save mankind. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are here working together to help us, to rescue us, to save us. Look with me at John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered him, that is, Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Born again here is a little bit of a mistranslation. We actually look at the Greek. The word is, meaning born from above. Born from above. So Jesus is saying, unless you're born from above, 
which of course applies to being born again, right? The primary being is born from above. You cannot even see the kingdom of heaven, let alone be a part of it. It's an interesting distinction. What does Jesus mean here? Why does he give us objects? Why do he objects? First of all, because he thinks he was wrong and he thinks just means being born again. But further on, it's difficult for me to believe. Look at verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is of the spirit is the spirit. Jesus goes on to show who he is in the second person of the Trinity, if we're looking for it, in verse 12. If I have told you earthly things, do you not believe? How do you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus here calls himself the Son of Man. And that's the title that Jesus is called more than any other title in the Gospels. He's using a very technical term to keep us sort of understood. What does it mean to be Son of Man? Not just that he's a biological offspring, but that he in some way is God. The term occurs over and over again. Jesus uses it for himself, but it actually comes from the Old Testament. It comes from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, which says that God will exalt the Son of Man. We don't have to turn to it. But Daniel talks about this very specifically, talking about the Ancient of Days coming and turning over power and dominion to the Son of Man. Look up at some point, Daniel 7, 13. And it goes along right with what Jesus is saying in John 33, 13, isn't it? Who has ascended into heaven? Only the one that's descended from heaven. Who has been there in the presence of God the Father himself? Only Jesus, who God out of love sent down to this earth. Jesus has descended once for us, for our salvation. Let's come again. 19th century Bishop Jason Ryle writes this. Jesus' atonement is a transaction that was done for man, and in which special effect is on man's position before God. No child of Adam has ever reached the lofty mysteries of heaven. And made himself acquainted with its high and holy truth by his own understanding. Such knowledge is only possessed by the incarnate Savior, the Son of Man, who has come down from heaven. If you would know spiritual truth, you must sit at his feet and learn from him. What Jason Ryle is saying here is that to understand the mystery of who God is, we have to look at how God has revealed himself to us. And he looked to the Old Testament, and he looked to Jesus Christ. 
Because Jesus is that ultimate revelation. But not just the revelation of God, he's also the atoning sacrifice, the way that God makes for us not just to know and see the kingdom of God, but to come before God and be part of it. Jesus says this in Nicodemus. And perhaps if you're not familiar with the imagery, it doesn't make sense to you. But when Jesus talks about the servant that raises up, that's raised up on the pole of the Old Testament, that actually comes from the Old Testament book Numbers, chapter 21. And what was happening there is that the people of Israel, not the people of the Old Testament, the Hebrew people, are being bitten by snakes and they're dying. And so God tells Moses, make this snake and stick it on a pole and lift it up in the middle of the camp. And anyone that looks on it will be healed. And you know what? Moses does that. And anyone that looks on it is healed. Jesus is saying, that says, I am like that snake. Not a usual imagery that we have associated with Jesus, right? But he's saying, I am like that snake that's lifted up. I will be lifted up. The Son of Man will be lifted up. And anyone that looks upon me will be healed, will be saved. Same word Hebrew. Why is that important? You see, the second person of the Trinity doesn't just show forth God who is love. He is God who is love. And he's died for you for me out of love. And we can look on it and see the people of God. So we can believe in it and be part of the kingdom of God. The word here for believe is the Greek word pursuo, which you've heard me talk about before. It doesn't just mean, oh yeah, that believe in Jesus, just like, you know, that speaker's up there, I believe that's there. Oh, that's nice. I'd love to go do whatever I want to do. The word pursuo here is to entrust yourself to Jesus, to give everything over to God, to follow in his ways. The word pursuo is to be a Christ follower. God allows us to personally know him. And then finally, we have the Romans passage, chapter 8, verse 12. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. But God doesn't just allow us to know about him, he allows us to know him. Look at the passage with me, chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we're debtors, not to the flesh, but according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, we will die. Let's stop there for a minute. What's that mean? That if you live according to your nature outside of Christ, if you just do what you want to do, you're about to die. And not only do you die physically, you will die eternally. You cast them out. But God doesn't desire that. So we continue with verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. What does that mean? It means that we don't just see the kingdom of God, we don't just experience the kingdom of God, we're actually part of the kingdom of God. You are made an heir, a son, your daughter, the kingdom. 
goes on, verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery all back in the year, but you received the spirit of adoption of son, sons, I will be cried, Allah, Allah. So you see, through the Holy Spirit, we're able to look upon God in his might and majesty and say, Allah. Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and children of heirs. And heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ, is provided to some of them in order that we may be glorified with them. So I'm going to ask you today how are you seeing God? How are you believing in Jesus? How are you following the Holy Spirit? How are you seeing God? Do you see how much he loves you? Do you see what envy was building over so that you could have a relationship with him to reveal himself to you? Number two, how do you see yourself in Jesus? How do you see yourself as this heir of St. Paul talks about? This legacy that St. Paul talks about that you have? And finally, how do you see the Holy Spirit leading you? Where is he alive in your life? Where is he contradicting what you want? Where is he confronting what you would do, the desires of your flesh, that aren't his desires? Listen to that. Listen to that. How is he encouraging you? Where you would be weak? How is he inspiring you? Say, come on, come to the table, be part of this. Today we're celebrating Ellis' first communion. It's a wonderful thing. Because we're celebrating not just that God has revealed himself, but that God has given himself, and that through the sacrament of that bread and wine, God is going to, for the first time in her life, be part of her, be part of her in the power of the Holy Spirit, to equip her, give her the power to follow her. You want to know God better. Read His Word. Both the Old and New Testaments. You want to see how much He loves you? Take your troubles to the cross. Bring them with you to the altar. Read them. In. See what He does for you. Are you struggling to be in a relationship with Him? Or to feel His presence? Don't neglect the sacrament. Come to the table. That's what God is saying to us. Come to the table. Be part of this eternal feast. It's going to go on and on forever. That's our call. That's what the Trinity means to us. We can't know its mysteries, but we can't know that God out of love is not remaining It's come down and wants to be with us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the 